You are listening to Shadow of the Wing, and I am Antonia Chain. This show is a serialized telling of the novel Shadow of the Wing by Antonia Chain. To find out more, visit antoniachain.com. Listeners are advised that some content is only suitable for a mature audience. There was no evidence, none at all. By the time Jess went back after six months sickness absence, life had moved on, and so had Sheila Margulies, who'd been replaced as chief executive with immediate effect after the fire. The new incumbent was particularly interested in focusing on rebuilding reputations and not, therefore, interested in raking over ashes, either literal or metaphorical. It was strongly suggested that Jess was not doing her own professional reputation or the hospitals any favours in continuing to suggest that deaths in the hospital were anything other than their first appeared, a suicide, two misadventures and one murder, the latter having already been well established and thoroughly investigated. Her claims, it was suggested, might be seen as evidence of perhaps a too soon return to work. Jess had decided at that point that it was always going to be too soon to return to Hilgram, and she'd resigned, like Sheila, with immediate effect, and no one challenged the decision. John had gone to Harvard to deliver his paper. Jess would forever be grateful to him for risking his own life and turning back from his escape when he heard the whistle. She knew, though, that despite the fact that he'd saved her life, their relationship would never be the same again, after she found out about his manipulation of his therapeutic relationship with patients in the PTU, particularly with Terry. The treatment regime had had some positive effects, but John had been systematically inflating data to make it appear that the treatment regime was far more effective than it was. Worse than that, though, Terry had been the focus of his manipulation. He intended to show that he had cured Terry, an allegedly uncurable, albeit retrainable patient. His cure, rather than simple behaviour modification, more usually seen as an outcome of treatment, would make him a significant name in the field of psychology. It was he, rather than Carl Langley, that kept Terry on the PTU. The PTU had been unceremoniously closed when John had gone to sell his treatment regime in the States. Terry had been moved onto one of the women's wards where she continued to maintain her ephemeral power over the other patients. Jess hoped mental health specialists would see the shoddy shallowness of John's research, but his references from the hospital were suitably glowing to ensure that he would be offered a position elsewhere and that he could therefore leave the hospital without questions being asked. Angie told Jess 
that Terry was, with the support of Richard Paul, preparing her case to go before a mental health tribunal. She hoped to be moved to a community-based secure unit and out of the hospital. The thought of this chilled Jess to the bone. She knew in the very core of her being that Terry had murdered Peter, Eddie and Don, and with absolute certainty of her own eyes that she'd killed Carl. She would never forget it. Jess was surprised to hear that Carl Lange had a wife and three children. The combination of security, the lack of roads within the compound, and the fact that fires all over the country were out of control thanks to Guy Fawkes, meant that it would taken much, much longer to get fire tenders to the building which had burned inferno-like for two days, until there was nothing left to burn. The up parquet of the two floors had burned determinedly and was a challenge to extinguish. Parts of Carl's body had been recovered from the burned-out shell of the fitness centre building, but it was mostly ash and bone. Terry's own report that she was, in fact, in the gym having sex for drugs supplied by Carl from the hospital pharmacy was more than enough to manage, and Jess knew it was hopeless trying to suggest that there'd be more to it. No one wanted to listen. Even Terry had suggested that she was concerned about Jess. Perhaps, she gently said, the smoke had done more damage than was obvious. It was a shame, thought Jess, collecting her purse from the doormat her newly acquired friend Cat pairing around her ankles, that she and Tio hadn't made it. It was inevitable, really. Too many hospital-related traumas, but too little else holding them together. Tio had taken up her job offer, but Jess hadn't felt ready to move back south and had decided to stay north, take advantage of the ill-health payout she'd been bribed with and maybe write a book or take up an allotment. She hadn't really decided how to fill her time, but she liked the feeling. She opened a letter, noticing that the envelope was addressed to Dr. J. Isaacs. She never used her professional title in personal mail, so could not understand who from work could be writing to her at a home address. The headed paper identified that it was a newsletter from the charity Women in Special Hospitals. She was still a patron and on their mailing list. On the covering letter that came with the newsletter, there was a scribbled handwritten note. It said, Hi Jess, the tribunal found that all your excellent therapy had made me much less of a psychopathic danger to society. So much so, I was moved to a semi-secure seacoat unit. I'm doing voluntary work at the charity as part of my rehabilitation. Now I know your home address, I'll be very sure to pop round and see you. Not sure when it will be, but soon. I feel that we have such a lot to talk about. Terry had added a little smiley face. The letter flitted to the floor and Jessie's blood ran cold in her veins. Enjoy the show and would like to read more stories by Antonia Chain, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and at her website, AntoniaChain.com.
Thanks for listening.